0: This is Petticoat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. host, Erica Jean, Christina Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. Hey. And our guest today is Fat Man D. Hey, everybody. Hey,
1: everybody. Hey,
2: fat chick. Yeah, uh-huh. it's coming to
3: you.
1: When I was young, I joined the circus. I came up with freaks. It's true. But while I saw the nation, I only dreamed of kissing you. Thank to lovely rubber men and fire-breathing bikes. We didn't have no Facebook, so you could not count the likes.
0: Fat Man D is, to me, a legendary Pittsburgh icon. If I may take us back in time a bit, in 1997, when I moved from small-town Florida to go to college in Big City, Pittsburgh, I was chomping at the bit to become an explorer of the fringe of what the world had to offer. It did not take long to become aware of the exotic and erotic Fat Man D. The first time I saw her was at a fire sculpture art performance by Sea Men at the Old Beehive in the Oakland neighborhood of Pittsburgh, where she stepped inside a spinning flaming cage naked with pigtails sprouting from a mostly bald head. She loomed larger than life, a beauty queen of the bizarre. (laughs) Her existence a proof that, yes, it really is possible to 100% be yourself and embrace success. And I did not even know she was a singer yet. Over the years and with longing fascination from the sidelines, I watched her travel the country and world as a jazz singer extraordinaire, get married in a most fanciful but truly heartfelt fashion, and passionately fight for a multitude of humanitarian causes. She's not only a role model for being and loving oneself, but also she is one of the most spiritually philanthropic individuals I have ever had the pleasure to meet. And by spiritually, I meant she gives her spirit to others. She personally touched my life when she saw me sing once and went out of her way to give me the phone number of her vocal coach, the wonderful Beth Clausen, along with kind encouragement to go and fulfill my potential. She regularly touches other people's lives as well throughout her many efforts. She participates in benefits for important causes as well as for individuals in need. She collaborates with other powerful women such as Liz Berlin of Rusted Root when she works on projects such as Social Justice Disco and the We Rock workshop, which works with current and former foster and homeless youth to create their own original music. Her own original music employs her smooth and sonorous jazz voice to great effect, even earning her number one Best Local Jazz Slash Blues Act in Pittsburgh in the Best of Pittsburgh City paper last year. Fat Mandy is a notable force of creativity and originality, a positive inspiration and role model, and a direct contributor to the betterment of individuals in need and society as a whole. And I hope that isn't too much adulation for our most humble guest. But for real, I am so excited to have
1: her on the show. So let's get started. Fat Mandy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Ms. Erica. I appreciate your having me to come on to the show and your wild, beautifully spoken phrases of, of love and support <laughs> were not totally expected at all. So thank you so much. <laughs>
0: of course. I know it's like, it's probably weird to hear stuff like that. I don't know.
1: Well, I just, you know, I remember the Seaman show very well because I helped... Book it and I helped promote it. And they're old friends of mine from Burning Man. And I just remember them saying, You can't get into the fire shower, Mandy. Your clothes will burn. You're too fat. And I said, <laughs> Well, if my clothes will burn, I will just take them off because I spent $200 on this dress and I don't want it to burn. No. And that was my reasoning. So my friends kindly accommodated me and hosed me down while I was in there so I wouldn't burn. I got a couple <laughs> char marks, but...
0: Did you really? I did.
1: I did. I have that picture somewhere, but Corel Tinnador won't let me show it to anybody.
0: Oh, well, that's a picture is worth a thousand words. I don't know how many times, <laughs> oh. like how, how long I could describe it and I would never be able to convey the image that <laughs> oh. is burned into my memory um, from that experience. It, it was, was a good really time. Cool. It was really cool. I mean, it actually was a really cool visual effect. You just appeared to just like a real phoenix,
1: you know? It was It was very exciting. I just remember my friends telling me no, and I'm just, just like, no, I worked really hard to get the show here. You brought it all <laughs> the way across the country from San Francisco. I'm getting in the flaming shower. Yes. And uh, I didn't really think about what it was going to look like. I just wanted to be surrounded in a column of fire.
0: You wanted the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did it live up?
1: Oh, yeah, it was fabulous. It was fabulous. I I was on. I was a volunteer member of the Black Rock City Department of Public Works who helped build Burning Man mm-hmm. and helped clean up after it. So you know, for me, it wasn't just I brought this cool, weird art project to town. It was I'd gone out to the desert, I'd found them, I'd suffered through, you know, my 40 days and my 40 nights. And I (laughs) finally manifested, you know, a small, very small, but very large piece of it in Pittsburgh. And I just I wanted to really fully experience it. And I wasn't here and trying to hear, oh, you're too fat, you can't get in the fire shower. So Mm
0: -hmm. no, this is one of the things I love about you. And that I think was really palpable to me from that experience and all the other experiences I've had around you is that you know you don't say you don't take no for an answer you're like no you mean yes right and you just go do it and it's great because you know a lot of people especially women get told no and they're like well okay I guess not
1: yeah it depends on who is telling me no uh-huh. so you know if it's like elders i respect or people i respect you know but even then even then i still think are you sure you meant no (laughs) if it applies if it applies to them personally and directly that's one thing but if it's just something that i'm trying to do that isn't gonna have any ill effect on any other Mm -hmm. person and could only benefit myself and those around me then i i don't generally take no
0: right yeah well, I'm glad you didn't say no to that experience because it was an indelible effect
1: on my brain and spirit. I think it's really funny you didn't know I sung at the time because I think I did open up for that show. But oh, did you? I did. Yeah, I opened up, but I sang for the belly dancers, I believe. But um, it's it's a common thing that I hear. Oh, I've known about you for years, but I didn't know you could actually sing. And so, I think that's really funny. <laughs> well, you're striking in so many
0: ways. I mean, there's like there's that the way that you just like exist, you know, is so real and raw. And I think people really remember that because it's kind of uncommon to see someone being so authentic and
1: out there. I hope it's not that uncommon. I hope, I hope I have actually been told by people that they felt more free to be themselves after they realized how much fun I was having. Uh So I hope that that, is not true for. I hope that that's true for fewer people. After after I'm done, mm-hmm. I hope that more people can just enjoy being themselves. Yeah, because the society just wants to push us into boxes, whatever those boxes may be, and and they want to tell you through, not just you know pop messages and commercials, but like through laws, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> who you can and cannot be, and they want to try and legislate your everything you know, your body, your spirit, your soul. And I just, I think if we would stop playing their game of trying to be who they think we should be, Mm
2: -hmm. and we would
1: just spend time being ourselves and encouraging everybody else to accept themselves, that we'd just be a much happier society. And I think we would have a very different government and a very different set of priorities as a nation and Mm -hmm. as a world.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's, very inspirational and very well put as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, would you say that's like a uh, is that just a belief for you, or is this something
1: that actually drives some of your work? No, I would say all of my work is driven by this message that you need to be yourself and you need to be yourself with pride and flamboyance.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, I have
1: lots of I, I, I'm really uh, connected to my. LBGTQIA friends and family and, you know, and and I have lots of, uh, friends of color and, and something common that they both get told and women too, uh, is that, uh, we shouldn't be too loud. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't flaunt yourself. You shouldn't laugh too loud. You shouldn't cry too loud. You shouldn't, you know, react too big because you're making a scene Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and, um, people are threatened by People that can't be themselves are threatened by other people being themselves. That's so, so true. I would like to encourage everybody to threaten everybody else's sensibilities <laughs> and just flaunt yourself and enjoy yeah. yourself and laugh too loud and yeah. cry too much. and Yeah. So do you ever receive negative feedback and what do you do? I do sometimes, but you know, like it's not frequent. I'm blessed to say, uh, I've seen other friends of mine get it more often. I wouldn't say I get too much hate mail from people just emailing me off the internet or, you know, hopefully they don't know my address and they can't find me personally, but I'm not hard to find. Um, but I do get like one-on-one, you know, like personal, well, I don't know how personal it is. They're screaming out of a car, but like I'll sometimes walk down Carson street on a Friday or a Saturday night and there's all the drunk college kids,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, usually somebody, sometimes some, I've had people yell more than once out of their car, lose some weight, you fat bitch. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hey, go on back to whatever suburb you come from. Yeah. Get back to your <laughs> to your frat house. Uh-huh. But yeah, like not, not really personal stuff. Friends of mine have. I've noticed that uh, we had a situation last week where a, one girlfriend of mine and I, she and I were both um, trying to have a conversation about a local business that had said some things we perceived as being racist. Uh-huh. And I thought it was really interesting that the owner's friends went after her uh-huh. because she's a black woman, oh. but they didn't come for me. So they kept trying to paint her as this crazy black lady.
2: Oh,
0: wow.
1: You know, mm-hmm. didn't know she has a couple of master's degrees, doesn't know she's an internationally renowned poet, mm-hmm. you know. They just tried to paint her as this and they didn't come for me because they know I have a following. Right. But they didn't know how big her community was because they were actually racist and they didn't know who she was. So I I see it happening to powerful women, but I think people are a little afraid of me and I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, do you think that's um, because you're so like gregarious with this attitude or is it because you do have a large following that you like I think you're an influential person so if you say do this or don't do that like some segment of people will be like man that you know they're listening to you
1: you know yeah I'm really lucky I mean we have platforms that weren't available to us you know just 10 That's years ago True. yeah you know like Twitter and Instagram and multiple professional Facebook pages for the different musical projects. and, And I perform a lot. You know, I had like three gigs last weekend. I played major festivals and concerts. And, you know, I sing with so many different kinds of people. You know, you might see me singing with a gospel choir, and then you might see me singing with a Taino shaman or a voodoo priestess, mm-hmm. you know, that same afternoon somewhere else or maybe at the same event. Right. So I think people are just like, oh, she's got people of God on her side and it's not all the same God. <laughs> it's different gods. So they, think uh-huh. they might be concerned, you know, just I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm very secure in myself and my friends, for the most part, are very secure in themselves. So I, I think people think about it before they come for us.
0: hmm. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that I really like about all of the different performances you do is that they do cross all of these different boundaries. It's very inclusive. Um, like you were just mentioning some of the different kinds of ways that you performed. You also often bring, um, other fringe people into your performances. Like, um, you'll have burlesque people and belly dancing. And you'll bring all these kind of like lesser known um, or less paid attention to creative areas out into the open with your
1: performances. I think when I was much younger, I went to an international summer camp and I got to, I was really blessed and really lucky to have that opportunity. And we, I met people from all over the world and it was mostly just European people at the time, but still that's a lot for a kid. And it got me excited about different cultures. Mm. And so I know that Pittsburgh is a place that has so many different cultures. And so you have, you know, Middle Eastern style belly dancers and you have, uh, you know, different kinds of religious music. And I have burlesque dancers. And, you know, I think it's perfectly natural to want to amplify the voices so that everybody gets to see and know what a beautiful community we have. You know, we have this international community right here in Pittsburgh and it has, you know, people from the Middle East and it has people from India and it has people from Europe and it has people from the Caribbean. And, you know, it's exciting and it makes us stronger and more beautiful. You know, I'm a Jew with extremely pagan leanings, but I'm a Mm -hmm. full-time member of a busy touring senior gospel choir Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it's it's just and i have a jazz band and that's the thing see jazz jazz is a is a is an organic and american art form that already combines so many different influences so you have you know african harmonies and rhythm forms you know but with european instruments and then african instruments and it's just like it's it's already a, a multinational, mm-hmm. you know polylingual po- it's a polyrhythmic kind of situation so it's that's i think why i gravitated towards jazz mm-hmm. but um i think
0: jazz yeah. is like the most free like kind of music to express yourself
1: in it can be yeah jazz can be extremely free i think um there's a lot of knowledge that has to go into playing jazz. Like there's a lot of legacy. There's a lot of history. There's a lot about struggle. People need to understand, like, it's not just this thing. It's about expressing yourself, but it's, it's about knowing who your foremothers and forefathers were and what they did and how they were able to do it. And then understanding where they were, learning the songs as they knew them before you can really start shaping it with yourself.
2: -hmm. So you
1: have to have a respect and a knowledge. You show that respect by learning uh, Mm -hmm. you know, what went before. But yes, you can be very free in jazz. You can be, and you can it's you can mix cultures and you can mix rhythms and song forms and dance forms. It was originally music for dancing. Right. Yeah. uh, Hence why I love burlesque dancers Uh and why I love belly dancers. I mean, belly dancers is specifically that's a that's a middle eastern and southeast asian dance form you know and there's different cultures all mixed in with like what is now considered american tribal style mm-hmm. so i'm i'm really grateful that we in pittsburgh have like the hammer sisters who can clearly explain and demonstrate you know what is an egyptian style what's a turkish style
0: yeah
1: what's country turkish style what's you know uh considered oriental style belly dance which is a cabaret sure. dance form and not Saying like all Chinese or all Japanese, it's a specific dance form style,
0: most people have no idea that there's subgenres, oh dance. yeah,
1: yeah, and then you have the Southeast Asian dancing, like um Rajasthani dancing, the gypsy style Rajasthani dancing, who from the Rajasthani people of India, you know, so I'm really lucky our my teachers have explained this to me, and it's the same in music, mm-hmm. so you have all these subgenres in jazz, and so it's just. It's exciting. And then burlesque just blows it all out of the water because, I mean, there are some belly dancers that won't perform with burlesque dancers, but I'm lucky my friends are my friends and they're not too worried about it. Yeah. But burlesque is, like, to me, the ultimate expression of the female form or the male form. I mean, males, there are plenty of fabulous male belly dancers and burlesque dancers, too. But, like, you just get to explore your whole body and you're a giant art piece. Mm. It's exciting, you know, and you can have feathers and fringe and, sequence and make political statements and yeah, it's exciting. So yeah, I like to open the stage up to all kinds of different kinds of people. It's my honor to be able to like provide them with a a stage and a spotlight and a sound system and like help amplify their, their vision and their culture or their artistic statement.
0: Do you do some of it yourself? I mean, have you
1: on belly dancing and things like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I studied with Maria Hammer, who teaches, and her sister Christine Hammer, but Maria teaches at Dance America in Bellevue, Mm -hmm. and she also teaches at Los Sabrosos Dance Company in Garfield. And, um, yeah, I've been studying off and on with them for 20 years, and it's definitely informed all of the dancing that you see me do with my band or on the dance floor or whatever. Um, And then burlesque, I used to have an act called Shimmy the Clown. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would do this clown striptease. Ooh. That was...
0: I love the sound of this.
1: I had like squeaky pasties and...
0: <laughs> you mean like they would squeak when you tweak them?
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> That's fun.
1: Yeah, it was fun. I mean, mostly I would just get hired for like bachelor parties in the South Hills.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: I think I was mostly used to like terrify young men. Yeah. But the money was good. So I was yeah, fine was just, with that. Yeah.
0: Does that ever bother you? Something like that? Well, I don't Explo- know. Anything ever go into the exploitative zone? And you're like, oh,
1: I mean, as long as I got paid, I was fine with it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had Tommy Amoeba there to scream if something went wrong. Uh-huh. So <laughs> now he's your husband. Right? Yeah. Yes.
0: So when you were talking about all the different cultures that exist in Pittsburgh, yeah.
1: do you go find them? I don't know. Uh, I guess musicians, we're really lucky in that we meet all kinds of different people. So, you know, I I guess um, I get my Afro-Latin training from my friend Miguel, who mm-hmm. went to high school with my little sister, Elizabeth, who produces a lot of hip-hop shows in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. She produces with um, Dr. Holly Hood, a.k.a. Amber Epps, uh, 1156 Productions. So like I knew I just make friends. I just make friends with the musicians that I'm working with and uh you know Miguel taught me how to sing in Spanish and my friend uh Henya who has uh used to have a band called Machete and now has a band called Calle Bomba and I I just I don't know. I don't I don't really it's not like I'm on a like a safari hunt or <laughs> <laughs> like, right. well, i think i see somebody from ghana over there let's see what kind right. of drums they play how's their balafon you uh-huh. know i don't know that'd be weird it's, so it's just Cause you don't want an... to fetishize people right exactly of course you don't yeah i don't know i think i just like to make friends uh-huh. and people generally just want to make friends too
0: yeah so it's a natural organic process
1: and i think so and also if people ask you to do something it seems to me like you
0: tend to say yes
1: If it's for a good cause, I mean, I'm trying to just mostly get paid now. Uh So, but still, I I find myself doing lots of events and benefits for people that don't really have money. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to figure that part out any minute now. That's hard. Well, I'm going to a CD Baby conference at the end of the month. So,
0: yeah. So what does that entail? I mean, I know CD Baby is, uh, you know.
1: They have an annual conference. This will be their third one. I went to the first one in Chicago two two years ago. Mm -hmm. I missed last year. But we're all going to go as a group. So we're going to be like a big posse from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh ladies. You know, I got us an Airbnb and we're going to stay Ooh. in uh in a in a groovy Nashville style home. And then we're going to hit the conference and we're going to learn about marketing and touring sensibly and all the different things that are open to you as independent artists. That it's the DIY Musicians Conference. Yeah. And the first one I went to was great. It was really great. I took some a lot. awesome things that helped me a lot and helped me, um, you know, successfully run a Kickstarter a couple months later, which then got me to go to Europe. And I finished that trip out going to the Edinburgh Fringe and the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. It's the original Fringe Festival and they have all kinds of business development courses. Mm-hmm. So in addition to performing with uh, the best of burlesque show in. At the events, I also got to take all these classes during the day. So I'm just constantly trying to learn more about how to um, succeed, mm-hmm. you know, and be in a, you know, work in a business like manner. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I think it's important to spend a lot of time. Like there's creativity, having creativity is one thing, but being a productive creator. entails a lot of extra work that's not just practicing your craft, but also working on how to present it and how to make progress and how to keep
2: learning.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also um, taking the skills that you've learned, producing yourself and your own work, and then turning those around and doing those for other people, but like charging them money for it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I learned how to shoot videos so I could make videos of my band But now I could shoot video for somebody else and using these skills, which work. And so that's where I'm at right now as I'm trying to figure out how I can get all the skills of me and my closest friends and how we can, you know, support each other and then sell our skills to the public for, you know, whatever that commercial rate is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not just selling yourself, but it's selling your each other and lifting each other up.
0: Yeah, no, definitely you're really good at giving back to people. They've been really good to me. So it just kind of comes into you and comes back out.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it weren't for, like, you know, you mentioned Beth Clausen earlier, our mm-hmm. vocal coach. You know, if, if it hadn't been for, I mean, yeah, I paid her, but like she poured, mm, you amazing. know, <laughs> so much knowledge into me. And all of my teachers, my belly dance teachers, my music teachers, you know, and now now I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm, you know, okay. so I'm I'm using my skills that I've learned.
0: Are you teaching vocals?
1: Yeah, I teach well, to children. I teach at the Afro American Music Institute. Right in Homewood, and I teach kids between ten and sixteen. Mm-hmm. And then I also um, teach with, like you said earlier, with Liz Berlin. We work with the foster kids. Right,
0: that's a great program.
1: It is a great program. There is a lot of amazing talent in the Allegheny County. Well, kids in general can be whatever they want to be. But Allegheny County Department of Human Services has a very intense and sacred duty of, you know, helping to raise kids that don't have, you know, parents or or they can't live with their parents for some reason. And uh, they have a lot of stories that it's easier for them to get out through music.
0: Yeah, music is such a great healer. It's so good for dealing with pain that you have inside. And I can't think of a better population to really... To say you know, your kids and you have all this pain and like, here's a way to constructively manage that.
1: Yeah. Or, or just um, to even, yeah, getting out their pain, but also, you know, validating their dreams, saying your dreams matter too. You can sing, you can rap, you can play music about your dreams because things don't happen. until you write them down. Mm-hmm. You know, if you write down your dreams or you sing about your dreams, then you're putting it out for other people to hear And to add energy into, so, you know, just showing people that they can have an outlet that isn't, you know, something that like getting drunk or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, because that's what you do. You you self-medicate if you don't have an out.
0: So you had a concert with everybody
1: at the end, right? We do. Yeah. At the end of the We Rock workshop. So, uh. At Afro-American Music Institute, we have regular recitals because it's a music school. So we have like two or three recitals during the the school year. But the We Rock Workshop, the format is we spend a couple of months working with them in the recording studio, writing their songs, recording their songs. Then we spend a couple of months rehearsing the songs they recorded. And then at the very end, we have like a big show
2: mm-hmm.
1: with choreography. And we brought in a, a great dance teacher this year from... Stacey Pearl Dance Company, we worked with Shanita Johnson, and she choreographed the students. Um, last year, we worked with Mario, who founded Level Up Studios.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, we bring in people from the community to help them, you know, dance people. So they're getting to work with professional recording engineers, and they get to work with Liz, you know, an internationally renowned pop star with multiple platinum albums. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they get to work with me, Fat Mandy. Hey, how you doing, kids?
2: It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: so cool. And I mean, Big I, Jess,
1: yeah, another, that's one of another teacher's Big Jess. He's awesome. He's gonna be he's on our social justice disco record too. Oh, is so, he? yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. So when you were their age, did did you have this kind of outlet already? Were you already a musically inclined person? Did you have what, what were your were your parents
1: like an influence for you in music? Yeah, I would say when I was their age, I had um I I did have my parents. I mean, uh, so I had things that, you know, I had music lessons. I studied cello from the time I was 10 through college. And I um, studied, I guess the first singing I ever did was really in synagogue with the rabbi because we would sing the whole service and I had to learn how to sing the whole service for my boss mitzvah. And then I went to that international summer camp where I learned songs in I don't know, 10 languages or whatever to sing with everybody else. And then as I, and I I always had access to dance. I had dance classes from the time I was like eight through I was 16 or something. Mm -hmm. So I always had like all the things that, you know, kids should hopefully get if they want, you know, I had access to music lessons and I had access to an instrument and I had access to dance classes and the summer camp. So I had a really, you know, I mean, not that my life was, you know, my dad was a crazy abusive dude, but, um, that aside, I had access to all this stuff that, you know, helped me develop myself as a musician and understand how to read music. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've always studied music and dance as part of my creative process. Mm-hmm. What about the, your sense
0: of, your strong sense of individuality? Did that come from the, like, Uh, your parents being open about that kind of thing or from not being able to be that
1: way. And then it came out later. Well, um, I think it came partly from my grandmother, my mother's mother, grandmother, Allie Baker was a Congresswoman in the early eighties. And she was a staunch Democrat in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I grew up with these, and my mom was extremely strong as well. She didn't run for office, but she raised three kids and, you know, had several jobs and got her master's degree after she and my father split. So I always had these strong female characters in my life that were just being themselves. Mm -hmm. I, um, I didn't know my grandfather, Max, on my dad's side, but he was the musical one. He had like, he played in a big band one, but I didn't know him. He passed before I was born. But, um. His wife, my grandma Claire, was pretty fabulous. New York had a cool apartment, had glitzy furniture. Uh-huh. You know, so she was very shiny. And uh and then when I was fourteen and I moved to Pittsburgh, I think by the time I was fifteen, I was already at the I was already going to Pegasus, which was the gay bar on Liberty oh, yeah. Avenue at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they had um an all ages night. So, you didn't have to be 21 to go like on Thursday nights or something. Uh-huh. And so, I would go and I would dance there. And I would also end up in the Rocky Horror Picture Show floor show cast, uh-huh. which aired, at, which was shown every weekend at what became the Oakland Beehive. But before it was the Oakland Beehive, it was the King's Court Movie Theater. So, I had like these strong female figures in my life, a musical education. And then when I moved to Pittsburgh in 1989, I was like, Look, ma, it's beautiful drag queens, and they're they're in the club, and they're they're at the at the movie theater, and the Rocky Horror. Ma, look, it's fishnets, ma. And she was just honestly so busy working several jobs and getting her master's degree. She's like, "That's nice. Don't do drugs." Okay, I'll see ya.
0: Good. It's a, that's a good message.
1: You know, hey, just you know, don't do drugs and have fun at the drag show,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So, uh, I mean, <laughs> so you did, I did. I went off, had a great time. I, uh, I went to college for like a year and a half uh-huh. and, uh, I, I, and I, I dropped out of college cause, um, I just, I, I knew how to do all the things that I wanted to do. And I was partying too much. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's ridiculous to spend $23,000 a year at Allegheny college. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, so that I can, like, hang out and smoke pot. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, I need to, like, go home and get to work. So I went back home, and I ended up joining a punk rock circus that summer. Oh,
2: wow.
1: Which is how I ended up at Burning Man, which is how I met seamen with their violent machines that perform acts of love, which I then brought back to the Oakland Beehive, where I had started my path to weirdness through the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh-huh. and was also now the janitor of the Beehive of the Beehive Empire. Were you? Yeah, I was a Beehive janitor for like 10 years.
0: I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I cleaned the That's how
1: I got the room oh. is because I promised I'd clean it up afterwards.
0: Truly starting from the bottom and <laughs> working your way up.
1: <laughs> like, Don't worry, I'll clean it. If we burn it, I'll clean up the scorch mark. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs>
0: Wow, so I had no idea that that was like still early on in your, you know, kind of development in this direction.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I was yeah, it was well, it was like mid career because we'd already had the Rocky horror stuff, right? You know, uh-huh. years before. Because once the Rocky once once the Beehive stopped being the Kings Court Theater, it um it became the Oakland Beehive, and they didn't really show Rocky anymore. So mm-hmm. they moved the Rocky over to the Hollywood Theater on Potomac in Dormont, but because yeah. I didn't have a car, I couldn't really easily get to it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I didn't like hanging out of the Eden Park till six in the morning when the tea started running again. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was, That's but yeah, cool. it was the Beehive janitor. I, I cleaned all the toilets and all the urinals and all the cigarette butts under all the pinball machines. And
0: <laughs> well, I used to go there back then, and it was I always enjoyed how clean it was. So Yay. thank you. <laughs>
1: Um so you're actually going back to Burning Man
0: this year and you're performing?
1: Yeah, because when I first went to Burning Man it was 1996 and the show I was with didn't tell me we were going to there. Oh, we did a show in San Francisco. I was doing a half man, half woman act in the show. I ate glass and I Whoa. sang love songs to myself and um they called me Mr. Sister Fat Man D. That was my stage name because of the half man, half woman. And my friend Zoe Collins made that costume and she's still making costumes for me. We're talking about women that I'm still associating with and, you know, collaborating with. She made that very first costume for me. That's
0: incredible.
1: Yeah. And then she made my dresses to go to Europe and I'm going to go see her this weekend. She's over in Sharpsburg. She's Mm going to fix me up with some. I need her to take that old leather bra she made for me 20 years ago and put some stronger elastic in it (laughs) because girl's not working like she used to. (laughs) But um, but yeah, they didn't tell me. They didn't say, "Hey, our next gig is in the desert. When we stop, you might want to get a water bottle." So uh-huh. I had no idea. And then I just woke up in the tour van, and I was like, "You made a wrong turn. There's nothing here." Yeah. And they're like, "No, this is it. This is home. We're we're back at Black Rock." And I was like, what are you talking about? But I had a great time, and I ended up there the next year with another show. But this time I knew where I was going, so I brought a hat and a water bottle and some sunglasses and a handkerchief and Mm -hmm. stuff. So that next year I I ended up being part of the volunteers, like the very first group called the DPW. So now I'm going back to Burning Man. Here we are, whatever, 21 years later. And I want to find my old friends and say, hey, listen to this new music I'm making. Yes, I put out four jazz albums. And yes, I work with the best jazz musicians in Pittsburgh. And yes, I've taken my jazz music to Europe and to New York and to New Orleans. And and this is the new thing I'm doing. I'm doing social justice disco. It's songs to fight fascists by. And, mm-hmm. You know, me and Liz Berlin, who's like the most powerful, woman contemporary person she's not the most she's one of the most she's like one of like six women that i'm working with right now that's just like absolute powerhouses mm-hmm. and and i just want them to hear this music mm-hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna sing my jazz stuff too i'm not just gonna be like okay revolution here we go yeah yeah you, know, you have to like sing 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 some of the sexy ones too not that the revolution isn't sexy revolution is very sexy well
0: what um how would you describe the new? Direction you're going with
1: this? I don't know if it's a new direction or it's just something I am finally have enough resources to put together because I've always been an activist. I mean, like I said, my grandmother was a congresswoman Mm -hmm. and when she was in office, she fought for a woman's right to choose. Uh, Even if she wasn't uh, an adult yet, she fought for for kids, you know, to be able to get abortions without telling their conservative parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and that almost got her shot. So I have and my mom marched in the civil rights marches in the sixties in Tulsa when she was in school. So I have this long history. I've always been politically active. Like the first time I ever saw Liz from Rusted Root, I saw her singing at an anti war rally at CMU. And Vincent Irene was on a forty day fast outside of the robotics institute. And he was protesting the development of their war machines. Mm-hmm. Um And he was building something called, he was protesting the building of an autonomous flying vehicle. And everybody thought he was crazy. They're like, Vince, you're crazy, man. You're starving yourself for no reason. And Rusted Root's up there playing, you know, and Liz is up there singing at the anti-war rally. And now here we are 25 years later, and those machines are called Mm drones. So I've been upset about the way our government has been acting for a very long time. And I've been upset about how our our people are feeding into this machine for a very long time. I've been upset about slavery and I'm upset that the Native American's land was stolen. And I'm upset that, you know, uh, people are forgetting the lessons that members of my family learned during World War II who aren't with us anymore. You know, I'm I'm upset. I've been upset about these things for a long time. So now I'm finally able to make this record. So I got with Liz Berlin and I was like, you know, actually I tagged her as it was a joke. It started out on Facebook. I tagged her April 1st, a couple of years ago. And I said, me and Liz Berlin of Rusted Root are making a social justice disco record.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she woke up on the bus. She's like tour bus and what looking at her phone. And she's like, Mandy tagged me and said, we're making a, what the, huh? And then it got all these comments and then people realized it was April 1st and then they got really salty (laughs) that it wasn't a thing that was actually happening. People were like, man, we really wanted to hear that. And, you know,
0: that's the motivation you need. That's just like confirmation. Do it.
1: Exactly. And the thing that was really great is that Liz Berlin, you know, has a recording studio and she has, you know, her own musicians and I have my own musicians and, so it was our challenge to put you know my jazz band with her rock pop bands and then you know bring in special guests we have we've have local poets and we have local um indigenous elders singing on it and drumming on it and playing flute on it and then we have the elders from the senior gospel choir the lemington chorale that I perform in so it was like we all reached from these different parts Of our, of our world to this huge collaborative thing. And all the songs are about, you know, things that really matter to us, like the environment. We have an anti pipeline song called Water is Sacred,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: which more, you know, uplifts and talks about the power of, of the water and mama earth and why we need to protect her. And we have other songs that I wrote, like hashtag big brother is trending, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
1: about how surveillance footage Exists And then it's not there when it's not convenient anymore. Like when uh, Philando Castile was murdered and his girlfriend put the whole thing on Facebook and then Facebook deleted it because it was too disturbing.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's not too disturbing to actually happen. It's right. just too disturbing to talk about it or show it. Mm-hmm. It's like in the Vietnam War, you know, the movement to stop the Vietnam War didn't really start until pictures started coming out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, so and then I have other songs like Jim Crow is alive and well, which, you know, talk about the murder of, you know, Sandra Bland and and Eric Garner. And and it's just, you know, racism is alive and well. And until we all realize that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just feminists working over here for the betterment of women and black people over here working for the betterment of people of color. It's like we all have to work together because it's the same thing trying to keep us all down. Right. So that's the song. So I want to get out to Burning Man and sing them my songs like "Hey Fat Chick" and "You Are Special," which are from my last jazz album. Mm-hmm. But then I also want to be like, "Hey, I'm doing these other ones. Listen to Fourth Reich Rising. Listen to I Dream of Robots Dreaming," which is getting back to the drone issue. So if we let robots just think for themselves, would they paint pictures? Would they write songs? Why do we have to use them as bombs?
0: Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's probably a perfectly receptive crowd for.
1: You would be surprised. Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) We'll we'll see. You would be fascinated how many supposedly liberal people are not as liberal as they would like you to believe. Mm. Anybody can put on a pair of fuzzy boots and, Mm -hmm. you know, put some glitter on their tits and call it a day. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, says the word when the glitter rubs off are you still working for justice that's my question yeah
3: because if right. you are i will
1: help you find the better glitter right so your new dreams are to
0: spread this message to be able to um, express these real feelings that you have through your medium and get that out there is that,
3: is that
1: yeah like i want something? everybody else to feel permission to to dance to social justice disco mm-hmm. i wanted to give everybody else permission to speak up mm-hmm. and say what they need to say and if they see something wrong they need to say something mm-hmm. not to quote the new york subway system right. but if you see something say something uh-huh. because words have power definitely and if you stay silent then people die yeah you know i learned that message when i was doing hiv activism and uh you know uh Queer civil rights activists work in the 90s from ACT UP, Cry Out. Their motto was "Silence equals death," and then the new motto of the Black Lives Matter movement is "White silence kills." So if you see something, you can say something or sing something. Mm-hmm. Words have power. I mean, go to any church service, even if you don't agree with the god they're worshiping to, or you don't agree with the way they're worshiping. it, just like just watch the power of words and music and rhythm. It uplifts people. It carries them to the weak. It brings them together
0: and mm-hmm. synchronizes mm-hmm.
1: Yep, there's power.
0: so let's talk about some gender specific stuff for just a second sure, and um, and then we'll get to hearing some of the music you were just talking about. sure, um, I guess I um have one major question about gender, which is um just really about like,
1: when have you felt your gender? Sometimes I wonder if I wouldn't have had more commercial success if I were a man. You know, there are uh, other local jazz musicians who don't have five CDs out, who don't even maybe have one CD out, but they still get all the gigs. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying they're not amazing musicians who shouldn't have the gigs. They should have the gigs. I don't need their gigs. I just want my own gigs that pay money. Yeah. You know, I don't need to own the table. I just want to be at it. So... And then I think, well, maybe I'm too weird for these jazz gigs. But then you see extremely flamboyant men that you know are getting celebrated, and then I wonder. So I just try not to wonder about it too much. If mm-hmm. I also, when I feel my womanhood, it's for me a sense of power.
0: That's good. Yeah. You know,
1: so like, there's a campground I go out to a lot in uh, Sherman, New York, called Brushwood Folklore Center. And it's a clothing optional pan-spiritual campground. And they call themselves the Sanctuary for the Open Mind. And so, you know, I can walk through the fields, you know, a big naked fat woman with tattoos and purple hair. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, just feel the earth coming through me and I can walk around naked and howl at the moon and, Mm -hmm. and it's no problems. You know, people, and they're all excited by it and they do it themselves, you know. So I feel empowered when I'm in that kind of situation. And I also make sure to practice self-care. So like self-care is a revolutionary thought. You know, people always think they need to be working extremely hard for everybody else. But if they don't take care of themselves, then they can't help anybody else. So I make sure to check in with my lady friends And we get together, maybe not as often as we would all like, but we do get together at least four or five times a year to just vent. And we have like a little Facebook group that we just communicate with each other and we're there for each other when we need to be and we try and uplift each other. So I think it's important if you are going to feel your feminine power that you're in touch with some other girlfriends Mm -hmm. that uh, are supportive of you and you need to find a place where you can be yourself fully without recrimination. Like I wouldn't walk naked down Carson street anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there was one <lots> time. Kids has, kids has. Yeah. So like I find the place where it's legal to walk around fully naked, uh-huh. you know, with a, with a horn of mead in my hand and, uh-huh. you know, a fire that I can wander towards to dance around, you know,
0: that sounds like a great experience.
1: It is. It is. And it, uh, and then I, oddly enough, I also find power in my femininity, when I'm singing in the Christian choir. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they would feel if they found themselves manifested out at Brushwood Folklore Center,
3: mm-hmm.
1: surrounded by naked people howling at the moon. But there is a power to being an elderly woman and the women that I sing with. Um, you know, they're in their seventies and their eighties mm-hmm. and they dress so well yeah. and they look gorgeous. And, you know, they know how to do all kinds of things, and they sing with so much power. So wow. I think it's important to celebrate, that you know, the elder women in your life and to learn from them and to be supportive of them, because not everybody can be strong all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think if you give yourself permission to not be strong sometimes and take care of yourself in those times, that helps you feel pleasure in your femininity. But as far as people trying to put me down for being a woman, I mean, I, I'm sure that happens, but I just don't really notice it too much. I just mm-hmm. wonder sometimes, would I have more success mm-hmm. if I were a man, but then... we can't know the answer to that question, I wouldn't right? want to so, be a man. Yeah? I'm mean, like, yeah, you know, no? I no, I'm, <laughs> I, I, uh, I love men. I love a lot of men. To all the men I've loved before... <laughs> But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I got no issues with, with the men in my life. Yeah. <laughs> they're supportive of me and my femininity. Uh-huh. So if you do choose to let men in your life, they need to support you as a woman and make sure that you can say what you need to say and they're not shutting you down and putting you down. If they are, then then they're using their power against you, power that they didn't earn.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and um, and you're married to, he's also a musician, right? Tommy Amoeba. Tommy Amoeba. He's a musician. He's a rock band.
1: He is, yeah, he has a rock band called Amoeba Knievel. And they don't play out as much as I would like them to, but when they do, they are awesome. Uh-huh. He um—he has one record out called uh, This Is Not a Test. And he's working on another one called uh, Amoeba Knievel Sell Out. Mm-hmm. Like CELO, get oh. it, sell out. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's Tommy Amoeba,
0: In the himself. lowest form of yeah. life.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a good egg.
0: <laughs> um, so you know he must be really a great partner because he obviously must be supportive of you not just as a woman but as an artist too. And you're a real working you're a real working musician. I mean, you're constantly going.
1: He is very supportive of me, and like I was saying before we started the interview, like. I do make most of my money from creative endeavors. And before I met him, I did support myself with music and also as a beehive janitor. But, um, you know, now we're together and he has a a regular day job by day. He is a web designer for Allegheny County.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, he is very supportive of me and my music. You know, I, I've funded most of my creative works. So I don't ask him to, like, pay for my studio time or anything because we don't have that kind of cash. So I've had to, like, raise the money for my own creative things. But, um, yeah, he... It drives him a little crazy because we only have one car. And I'm like, honey, I'm going to a gig. Or, mm-hmm. honey, I've got to get to rehearsal, you know. Or, sorry, I didn't make dinner, but there's some tuna fish left over from yesterday. <laughs> so he's very understanding. And he, you know, does his part of the housework. You know, he does dishes and he helps clean and he does, you know, garbage and all the things. I mean, not all the things, but you know, he does enough things. Mm-hmm.
0: I am learning so much today from you. Oh yay. yeah. I'm learning too. Okay. So I want to talk to you a little bit about creativity specifically. Um, and then we're going to listen to you a couple pieces that you've made. So big general question. Where do you think creativity comes from?
1: How does it mm. manifest for you? Creativity for me, I believe, comes from spirit. And that spirit could come in any number of forms. Uh, For the gospel choir that I sing with, that is their love of Jesus. And they always give credit to their songs because Jesus is just working through them. For me, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jesus, but he is not the only personal Lord and Savior that I recognize. I recognize many of the gods and goddesses. And so for me, creative energy comes from the universe and the multiverse, and then it's working through the specific vessel that is me, and I am informed by my experiences that I have had as a woman living on this earth for 42 years. and the teachers that i have had so the energy comes but it is informed by my experiences and my education Mm -hmm. and not just a formal education but the education that i get every day when i open my eyes and i see what i see Mm -hmm. and i hear what i hear so i think that is pretty much it because i've seen a lot and i've heard a lot and i've learned a lot And I have a lot of things to say, and I'm blessed to have incredible people to say them with. Creativity also is, you know, who are you working with at that moment and on that project. It's not just me. It's my community. It's my friends when I sing with them. It's my band when I play with them. It's, you know, what I'm learning as I'm creating and what I'm teaching as I am creating if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But I also tell the band, you know, the roadmap isn't set in stone because the other part of creativity is the audience. Mm-hmm. So you're not doing anything and we're not just up there just doing it for ourselves in a mirror. We're doing it for living, breathing people who have their own ideas about how things should be and how they're enjoying or interpreting what you're doing. So you need to be able to feel them out and see, well, are they enjoying this? Do they want it to be a little more upbeat? Do they want it to be a little more minor key? Do they need more energy? Do they want something more cerebral? And so the, the writing down the list of songs and the set list beforehand is just a roadmap, but sometimes the road goes a different direction. And so you have to like, just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. And then like, if the band is really in sync with each other and I'm in sync with them and we're in sync with the audience, then together we can go somewhere fabulous and purely improvisational. I learned that lesson from Ted Hoover when I used to act in Pittsburgh Queer Theater many, many, many years ago. I had, um, was um we were working on a show called Coming Out, and he said that the audience is the other member of the troupe. So you have the actors and you have the directors and you have the stage managers and you have the light people and the sound people. And then the other part of the creative team is the audience. And you have no idea what they're bringing to the party because they're different every night. Mm -hmm. So it's important to learn how to respond to your audience. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So we're going to actually going to, we're going to play two of your songs today. (gasps) Yay. Yay! Um, We're going to like look into your jazz stuff and your beautiful jazz voice. And then we're going to hear one of your songs that you were talking about earlier from your social justice disco. So the first one we're going to hear is from your jazz albums and it's called Hey Fat Chick.
1: Yes. This song is the title track to my fourth record and uh, Hey Fat Chick, you got it coming to you. Features uh, production by Tony DePaulis on bass and uh, piano player, Mr. Clifford Barnes. And what excites me a lot about this is the horn section. And the horns were played by my friend Reggie Watkins of Seal Town Horns. And he's also doing the arrangements for Social Justice Disco. But this song to me uh, was kind of like my story, my theme song and, uh, it's actually the only part of the, uh, I made a, I made a, a soft, well, I wasn't soft core in any means. I made a, <laughs> let's just call it an, a, an art film
2: mm-hmm. with
1: lots of clowns <laughs> back in the nineties. And this was going to be the it's theme song. Yes, involved. exactly. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that that film is softly demagnetizing in a damp shoebox somewhere <laughs> in Munhall. But um, but this is the only part of that that actually got fully finished. Uh-huh. So I carried the, the hook around for 10 years before it – longer than that, 20 years uh-huh. before it finally became a song.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So so where were you when you thought of the hook? Like, how did it come to – It, it was going to be right? the theme
1: song for this art film. Mm-hmm. And the art film was called Happy Slappin' Fat Chick. Uh-huh. And it was very graphic – and there were lots of props involved (laughs) and it was shot on location all over the south side wow yeah is
0: this when you used to walk naked in the south side pretty much i see i see the whole thing is coming together for me now in my mind
1: yeah it was uh there may have been psychedelics involved (laughs) but uh but yeah so the the hook hey fat chick you got it coming well you'll hear it here in a second so Mm -hmm. yeah this is what it became
2: Yeah, uh-huh. coming to you
1: When I was young, I joined the circus I came up with freaks, it's true But while I saw the nation I only dreamed of kissing you I sang to lovely rubber men And fire-breathing bikes We didn't have no Facebook So you could not count the likes I got when I ate them light bulbs So when I pounded that spike Through my tongue and through my heart Breaks upon these bikes Hey, fat chick You
2: got it coming to me Hey, fat chick You got it coming to me Hey, fat chick You had it coming to you
1: We left from San Francisco all the way to Brooklyn Town. It's amazing how far you travel on the powers of a cloud. Lost some in Minneapolis, gained more in New Orleans. For me, I hail from Pittsburgh, and you don't know what that means. We got lots of freaks and drag queens and burlesques by the score. But Jasmine, they are righteous. They helped to fight this war. She lock up them Cause this Patrick, she's a singing with her band and with her friends. She's got dancers, she's got fire, she's got jazz and she's got freaks. Her poems cut with fierceness that we ain't seen since the Beats. She's large and she's lovely, so don't forget to stare. When you laugh, you'll all be wondering if you can find what life in there.
2: Hey, Patchy. coming to you oh, hey, hey, oh, you got it coming to
3: you,
0: hey, oh, you got it coming yay hey, oh, to you Awesome yay. yeah I loved it it's uh it embodies all these little components of things that we've talked about today in your personality about flamboyance um, and the burlesque feel, you know, that that slinky, kinky feel and everything and your history, your, like, literal history as well.
1: That's what... Yeah, that's what I wanted it to be. I just wanted, like... My husband has a theme song called The Ballad of Tommy Amoeba, and, I, uh, you know, I wanted something a little more historically accurate uh, for me, but, you know, I just... You know, I and I wanted my band, you know, to sound like they do. Mm-hmm. Just like these killer jazz musicians with great rhythm and great harmonies and great horn yeah. lines and just solid driving.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's the complete package. It even has the, like the chick giggling in the background, you know. Yeah. You know, that's the great. <laughs> you gotta have those details in there. Yeah, it's a great.
1: I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, it was recorded at uh, Mr. Smalls. Mm-hmm. recording studio in Northside where I've recorded uh recorded uh three albums now. Oh, so, wow. yeah. Wow. That's your go to. Yeah, I've I've also worked with uh Hyde Studios in Aspenwall and mm-hmm. I've also worked with Dana Canoni Church Recording Studio, but I just, you know, I've recorded at Mr. Smalls when they were still just a little teeny little one room studio mm-hmm. above on the second floor on grand Avenue in Millvale. Right. And then I remember when they bought the church and started recording at the church. And then now it's a huge venue and I just, I just feel most at home here.
3: Uh huh.
0: Well, just in general, I love how,
1: um, how important and
0: respectful you are of history and things, seeing things grow through Pittsburgh and all the different cultures and everything. It's really a cool aspect of your personality.
1: Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, Honestly, I'm just happy to see Pittsburgh is becoming the town I always wanted to live in. Yeah. It's just manifesting around us.
0: It's crazy the renaissance that's going on.
1: It's It's a lot of hard work, a lot of good people, and a lot of hard work. And Mm -hmm. finally, hopefully, seeing the fruits of their labors. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your next tune. Um, This is from Social Justice Disco, the project you do with Liz Berlin. Yes. And um, we talked a lot about. Some of the you know your the elements of motivation for the record and everything. Uh, the song, the specific song we're going to hear is called "I Can't Breathe." Yes. And uh, where were you when you wrote that?
1: Okay, so I actually didn't write this song. I heard it because Samuel L. Jackson did a challenge on his Facebook page. The actor Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, everybody, I think it's great that y'all are throwing buckets of ice water on yourself for ALS, because that's when that was happening, during the ALS ice bucket challenge. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to stop you from doing that, but could you please consider for a moment that maybe the cops shouldn't be killing black people? And he sang this song, just him and his voice, and said, I want everybody else to sing it. Mm. And he issued a challenge. He's like, just pick up your phone, sing into your phone, do it in front of your computer. Whatever you have to do, just get up and sing this song, teach it to other people. So I actually don't know who wrote it. I'm looking, trying to find out who wrote it mm-hmm. so I can send them their royalties. Uh-huh. So um, I took it to Liz and I said, I want us to do this song with Social Justice Disco. And we got to talking and we decided to bring my pastor, uh, Derek Tynes, who's the director of the Lemington Gospel Chorale mm-hmm. that I sing with. And we said, well, let's see if Derek will write us an original arrangement. Okay. Because he's, uh, he's he's an amazing musician. And actually, um, his he does beautiful arrangements. His arrangement of We Shall Overcome, even though he didn't write the song We Shall Overcome, that's an old civil rights song, mm-hmm. uh, his arrangement got picked up by the Thomas Dorsey Convention, which is the international convention that happens annually for gospel singers, the National Convention of Gospel Choirs. Mm-hmm. And so he's being to present that there and he does amazing arrangements and Derek came to the studio with Liz and I and he just put his hands on the piano and started playing the song and did some really beautiful progressions and then we figured out between the three of us what the harmonies were going to be and the parts and so this recording we're about to listen to now has the entire choir on it elderly people from uh the Lemington area of Pittsburgh and Homewood, and we rehearse weekly at the Afro American Music Institute in Homewood on Thursdays. So this isn't the finished version; it's a rough version. The levels aren't totally great, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not done. But I want you to hear it because, uh, you know, maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, the album will be done in October of 2017. So if you're listening to this podcast after October 28th, 2017, you can buy it. You can just order Mm -hmm. the record and have the vinyl record or the CD sent to you or download it. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to pre-order the record and help support it, you can do that too on Pledge Music. But this is our rendition with Derek Tynes and the Leamington Gospel Chorale of I Can't Breathe, Mm -hmm. which is a song about, you know, black lives mattering.
4: Helpless. I can't breathe. Strangled and tangled around the body and mind, trying to find an opening for my birthright to release my essence.
3: I can't breathe. To celebrate
4: my existence with persistence, with no blockers to my true expression of freedom. That's what I'm striving to achieve, to help you no longer believe that one is better than the other. The one of us doesn't deserve to work the of celebration of the aspiration of those who have suffered. To provide a legacy of life over death, mentally and spiritually engaging in forward thinking, uplift to rise above of trial and tribulation. So that that body tongues with castration to those who have continued to fight to change society from discrimination to a unity conscious elevation. It is to you that this song is a dedication. I
3: still hear my brother crying, I can't breathe, now I'm in the struggle.
4: Spark and the knowing in an old father's eyes the revolving doors of heaven, thin, black love song, sizzling. A cast iron frying pan reduces bacon to oil. These are everyday rituals mothers perform to pledge their children's feathers. The comings and goings, how can I leave except to fly into your soul, the moon, dive into your night-ocean body, no shoreline in sight. You, black rock jutting out from the sand to defy the sea foam, the members of the beach form a choir, themselves. Every surviving day, miracles, no lies. See, sun on the seesaw of social justice, we up and we down, we run and we laugh. Pain turns sand to glass, pressure turns bones to diamonds, loss turns soul to suspense. Stumbling among the stars before falling down as humans, human, we could fly away. We choose not to be sweet uprise until our people are free.
3: I tell you my brother's crying.
1: Awesome. that was so beautiful thank you so much
3: yeah thank one you. of the
0: things I really um, actually like that it's an unfinished version that you brought with it with you because um, it's nice to see it's nice to show an example of some piece of before it's a finished product you're still in mode of creating and finishing this piece so I think it fits very well with the the theme of this show petticoat rule to have something that's um, really a, an example of putting something together and um, sometimes when you get a finished product, it's easy to not know how much hard work goes into it and all the collaborations and everything, but it's really nice to hear.
1: Oh, hear I'm glad. In that state. Yeah. It's nice to be interviewed by a fellow musician because, you know, you know, what's involved, you know, in just putting it together for a band, you know, it's a lot of work to mm-hmm. get the information out to everybody And then, you know, just something on this level where we had like 50, 60 people, Mm -hmm. you know, in the studio. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just
1: to be able to communicate to everybody. And it's not a song that's in the choir's wheelhouse. I mean, they they could sing anything. But, you know, most of the songs they sing are about Jesus. And, Uh you know, they were happy to be part of this and to support Liz and I and to support Derek in this vision. But it's just not something they're familiar with. So we did have had to communicate, you know, well, these are the words, this is how the feel is going. And
0: yeah, that's awesome. Well, this is really, really fun to talk to you today. Um, I learned so much about you personally, but also, um, I feel like there's just some really great messages in here about creative productivity, about collaborating with other people, about working hard on yourself and always trying to learn more. And, um, you know, a lot about Being true to yourself and your individuality, and it's also feminine stuff. I mean, I feel, I feel like I gotta go belly dancing now. So,
1: I think you should. (laughs) Very motivated. I think everybody
0: should. (laughs) Um, So, thank you so much. And uh, where can people find your music?
1: Yes. So um, you can buy my finished albums. I have "Life Just Goes On," "Torch of Blue," um, "Merry Christmas Hanukkah Wanza," Volume One (laughs) Point One. And I have uh, Hey Fat Chick, you got it coming to you. You can get links to buy all of those through my website, FatMandy.com. It's P-H-A-T-M-A-N-D-E-E.com. And that'll take you to my CD Baby music store where you can buy physical copies or you can buy digital downloads. And if you are interested in buying the Social Justice Disco album that I'm doing with Liz Berlin you can go to pledgemusic.com/socialjusticedisco and you can pre-order it so you could actually if you were listening to this podcast before you know October 2017 you can pre-order it if you're listening to this after October 28th 2017 then also just uh, check out my website I'll have a link there or if you want to follow social justice disco on Twitter we're on Twitter as SJ Disco and we're on Facebook as Social Justice Disco with Liz Berlin and Fat Mandy. Or um, follow me on Twitter or Instagram as Fat Mandy and I'm generally screaming about the government or posting links to my projects.
0: <laughs> That's great. We love we love Fat Mandy.
1: And and, and Fat Mandy loves petticoat rules. <laughs>
0: okay, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at PetticoatRule.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at PetticoatRuleFM.